0: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael and I'm one of the pastors here and I have the privilege of preaching this evening. And we are in our series. We are kicking it off tonight. It is called Move again. And we are looking at the book of Exodus for the next few weeks. We are going to be looking at the whole book of Exodus and the Exodus story. But for tonight, we're going to be focusing on Exodus chapter 1 to 4, and especially about how God is taking a people on the move, wants to take a people out of slavery for His promises and for His goodness. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus tonight, but I want to start off with Exodus 2 verse 23 to 25. It says this, and it will come up on the screen. During those many days, the king of Egypt and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so God hears, God remembers, and God sees. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence here tonight. I pray that hearts will come awake to your promises. I pray that eyes will be open, Lord, and that we will see you in fullness, Lord, that you are calling sons and daughters to freedom. You are calling sons and daughters to move again in faith, Lord, and you are calling a people to be set free from slavery, but to be full with your promises, Lord, to stand up tall in faith for what you have for them, Lord, to take ground for your kingdom, and I thank you that you are doing that tonight, that you are doing that in our hearts, Lord, and I pray that as a people that we will move again in faith. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen, amen. Won't you turn to someone and say move again? Okay, won't you turn to someone now and say it with a little bit of vigor, move again. There we go. We want to be a little bit louder in the evening. We don't want to be quiet. We want to do life with one another. But in, this, in the book of Exodus, we are looking at a group of people who are on the move. They are moving out of slavery and oppression. They are moving through the wilderness and a barren land. And then they are moving into the promised land, the promises that God has for them. And this story isn't just a story that happened some time ago. This is a story that still happens today because God is still at work. He's still bringing sons and daughters out of slavery, out of oppression, out of our old way of life, and he's bringing them towards freedom in Jesus Christ. And so this story of Exodus is actually for us. This story is still at work today because God is still at work. God is still at the move, and he still wants to see sons and daughters be free. So God calls us to move out of slavery, to move out of our way of life. He calls us to move through our barren and dry places in life that we may find ourselves and then he calls us to move into the promises that he has for each and every one of us we are called to be a people on the move and so this exodus story is actually a story of God redeeming his chosen people they had found themselves in slavery and uh, being oppressed by the Egyptian nation and the book of Exodus kicks off after the Genesis story and uh, God is trying to remind the Israelites of his covenant of his promises and he's reminding us about his promises as well. And so we see in this Genesis story that there is this chosen nation, this group of Israel, and it starts with Abraham. And God uh, tells Abraham that he is going to be the father of many nations, that he is going to have more and more children than the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky. But the only problem with that is that Abraham is very, very old, almost ancient, too old to have a kid, but actually God commands a blessing. And where there's man's deficit, where there's man's lack, that meets God's deliverance and God's redemption. And so Abraham uh, takes it into his own hands at first, and he gives birth to a son called Ishmael, but that's not the child of promise. Well, his wife did, but they give birth to to a child called Ishmael, yeah, yeah, just a little bit biology tonight, just checking you awake, they give birth to a child called Ishmael, but actually that's not the child of promise, that is Isaac, but with Isaac, he's the child of promise, and God restores his covenant with Isaac, and that he will too be a father of many nations, that he will too carry on this lineage, and that Israel will be made into a mighty people, but they will have a promised land for Israel. And then Isaac gives birth, uh, Isaac's wife gives birth to two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau is the firstborn. Esau is supposed to have the inheritance. Esau is supposed to have the birthright. But Jacob is actually a trickster. He's a fraudster. He's a con artist. And he tricks um, Isaac into giving him the birthright so that he would receive the blessing, so that he would receive the inheritance that actually was promised to Esau. But again... God redeems that story. He brings deliverance in that story, and He actually renames Jacob into. Israel, that he will continue the blessing even where there's man's weakness, even where there's man's wickedness, God will redeem that for his deliverance of his chosen people. And so we see the story working out, that God is working out this narrative of redemption for his chosen people. And then Jacob uh, has 12 sons, and one of them is Joseph. And then his brothers actually sell him into slavery. And again, there is man's wickedness and there's man's depravity. But God uses that again for the deliverance of his people, and Joseph finds himself as one of the people up in the top of the political scheme in Egypt, and actually finds himself in a a land of favor and prosperity, and that there will be a future for Israel in Egypt. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph is meeting with his brothers, and he says, whatever you do, do not stay in this land. There is a future promise For Israel, There's a future promise for you. Take my bones from Egypt. And he uh, repeats this twice over. Take my bones from this land. Do not stay stuck here. Do not stay in Egypt. Do not stay stagnant here. Do not stay uh, with the Egyptian people. Actually, God has something greater for you. God has a promised land for you. But actually, the Israelites find themselves stuck. They find themselves stagnant. And they find themselves as slaves to the Egyptian people. And that is not what God has for them. God actually wants them to move again in faith. He wants them to be set free. And this is where we find ourselves in the Exodus story tonight. And so in Exodus 1, verse 6 to 11, you can turn in uh, there in your Bibles, or you can look on the screen behind me. It says this. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation, but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. See, once again, we are faced with man's depravity and man's wickedness. The Israelite nation were fruitful. They were God's chosen people. They were favored by God. But Pharaoh became fearful of this nation, that they would rise up in faith, that they would rise up to all that God has for them. They would rise up to the promises that God made them. And he became fearful and he became wicked. And so their identity was no longer found in God's chosen people. Their identity became slaves. Their identity just became slaves for 400 years in a foreign land, and that just, didn't just happen one day then. It happens today as well. How often do we find ourselves as slaves to things that isn't God's plan for our lives? How often do we find ourselves giving time and energy to things that God does not have for us, which aren't His promises and fullness for our lives? See, Pharaoh feared how fruitful and favored those people were. They were God's chosen people. And again, in this Exodus story, it is about us again today. We are God's chosen people, and he is calling us as believers to move again, to rise up in faith, to be freed from the shackles of slavery, and to walk into all the promises that he has for us. See, the enemy wants to keep us bound to our old way of living, bound to the shackles of slavery, bound to just this Christian lifestyle that never takes ground for God's kingdom. And there's this amazing thing called the Negro Bible, and it was this Bible that were given to the slaves during the mid-19th century in the 1800s. And these slave masters gave these Bibles to the slaves because they wanted them Christian, they just didn't want them free. And so what this Bible was, it had all the pages that were talking about obedience and submission, but they took all the books out, all the chapters out that talked about freedom and finding freedom in Jesus Christ. And so in the book of Exodus, chapter 1 to 18 is actually missing from the Negro Slave Bible. It is missing, you cannot find it there. It starts at chapter 19, where Moses gave the Israelites commandments and rules and ways of life because the enemy wants to keep us Christian, he just doesn't want to see us free. The enemy wants to keep us Christian and living towards Christian principles and a Christian way of life, but we're actually not walking into the promises that God has for us because we haven't found true freedom. And this is what the enemy wants to do, and that's what Pharaoh wanted to do in that time, and that's what the enemy wants to do today. He wants to keep you shackled. He wants to keep you small to the promises of God, but Jesus has something much greater for us. Jesus has true freedom. So the enemy doesn't mind you being a Christian with good morals, good Christian principles, coming to church on a Sunday, attending life group during the week, but the enemy wants to keep you small for God's purposes. God has a greater purpose for our life. See, the God of Exodus is on the move again today, and Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. You were set free for freedom. You were set free for fullness of life. You were set free for God's promises in your life, and that's what we need to see. So God's deliverance, first point here today, God's deliverance overcomes man's wickedness. God's deliverance overcomes man's wickedness. We see the wicked Pharaoh, and it says this in Exodus 1, verse 12 to 17, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Puah: When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. See, there was this wickedness and oppression, not just on a personal level, but on a political level. See, where Egypt used to be this hospitable place to the nation of Israel, now it became a place of oppression, a place of slavery, but actually a place of death as well for the Israelite nation. See, they were fruitful, and because they were fruitful, the specter of death was hanging over their lives. Every time they were favored, every time they were fruitful for God's purposes and plans, the enemy came and tried to kill, steal, and destroy, and take that away from them. See, this book of Exodus isn't this neat and tidy book Um, whitewashed with freedom and joy. Actually, it is a book where there is pain. It is a book where there is suffering. There is a book where there is oppression and wickedness. And that's just like the world we live in today. We just have to turn on the TV to see what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. We just have to turn on the TV to see the riots that happened last year. We just have to turn on the TV to see man's wickedness, to see man's depravity. But God is calling His church to rise up in the face of depravity. God is calling believers to rise up in the face of wickedness. See, God's deliverance always redeems man's depravity. And this should fill your heart with hope tonight because it fills mine with hope. See, in the midst of the year's riots, I went to Durban two weeks ago, and we actually went to a conference about recovery, a conference about addiction. And there were a hundred leaders around the country declaring God's freedom in the space of addiction. There are 320 groups meeting across the country, seeing people set free from addiction. And the course is called Project Exodus because we want to see the to set free. Yeah. And that is why we want to take ground for God's kingdom. But in those conversations, you could just see a little specter of fear about the riots in Durban last year, that actually there's this little specter of fear, this fearful uh, part in their, uh, in their hearts that it will happen again. And so that we start uh, living towards fear, we start living towards the smallness of life, and actually God is wanting to bring redemption in that story. In the face of wickedness, in the face of depravity, the local church is called to rise up the local church is called to remember God because God remembers, God sees, and God hears the cries of his people see there have been nations will rise and nations will fall. There have been many nations. The nation of Egypt rose, and then it fell. The nation of Babylon, which took the Israelites captive into exile, rose, and then it fell. The nation of Rome rose, and then it fell. No matter what, God will stand the test of the time, and His church will always rise up. His church will always rise up. See, the church's best work is done when there is persecution, when there is trial, because we believe that in a greater God, a God who is greater than persecution, a God who is greater than oppression, a God who is greater than man's wickedness and depravity. See, in the face of great adversity, the people of God were made to thrive. You were made to thrive in the face of adversity. You were made to thrive in the face of trial and temptation and oppression. You as a believer were made to thrive because you have a greater God. See, in this story, he also uses that which looks feeble and looks lowly to the earth. He uses these two midwives to topple the nation of Egypt. These two midwives, just because they feared God, and they knew who God was, and they knew how powerful and mighty He was. Just because they feared God, they chose a path of faith. They chose to move again in faith and uh, not obey the nation of Egypt, but actually to stand up and rise up in faith. And so just t- think about this for a moment. Five women, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, a Pharaoh's daughter, and two midwives, brought the nation of Egypt to its knees. Five women who stood up in faith, who were cast aside as lowly, as marginalized. Women had no rights, had no social standing in those times. Five women brought the nation of Egypt to its knees. Why? Because they were faithful. Why? Because they believed in a greater God. Why? Because they stood in the face of oppression. They stood in the face of wickedness. And they believed that God could bring deliverance in that point. See, God brings deliverance, and it overcomes man's wickedness. God's deliverance also overcomes man's wandering. Exodus 2, verse 11 to 15 says this. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of these people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. We see this story of Moses, it's this rags-to-riches story, it's this uh, baby who actually finds himself in the Egyptian palace and becomes a prince in Egypt and learns their ways and learns their culture, but then he is cast out into the wilderness, and the first chapter of the book of Exodus is actually 40 years. When you read the first chapter of Exodus, that is 40 years of Moses' life. When you read the next chapter, chapter 2, that is another 40 years of Moses' life. And so then he finds himself in the wilderness. But it's amazing that God does the deepest work in Moses' heart in the wilderness. In your wilderness, God will do the deepest work. In your wilderness, God will bring deliverance for people. In your wilderness, God will bring redemption for His promises and His purposes. See, don't despise what God does in our wilderness. Don't despise what God does in your dry and barren seasons in life. God is still at work. God is working, and he is faithful to his promises. See, Moses' world is interrupted by a revelation of who God is as God reveals himself to Moses in the desert, in the wilderness. See, this is where God reminds Moses of his promises. In the wilderness, God reveals the promises of of his purpose and his plan and his kingdom to Moses. And we need to remember this in our wilderness. When you are fearful, when you're just going through the motions, when you feel like you cannot feel God, when he is far away, when you feel obscure to his sight, remember that God sees, God hears, and God remembers. See, when you are hopeless, when you are depressed, when you are a single mom just packing lunches day by day, when your bank account won't stretch to the end of the month, when you have anxiety, when you are in a dead-end job, when you have nothing in the bank account, when your marriage isn't just thriving, when you are struggling with sin, when you are struggling with addiction, remember God does the deepest work in your wilderness. Don't despise the wilderness because He is at work, and He wants to bring deliverance for His purposes. See, God hears, God remembers, and God sees. God forgets our sins, but He never forgets His promises. God forgets our sins. He washes them white as snow, but He never forgets His promises in our lives. We need to remember this. We need to remember that we are people who are called to move again in faith. We are people who are called to rest on the promises of God, not by our own circumstances, not by what we see in the natural, not by what the world tells us or the news or what you see on Facebook. We are called to rest on the promises of God, and we are called to move again in faith. Will you move again in faith where things have become dim and dormant in your heart Will you move again in faith where you think that God has forgotten you, that God hasn't seen you, that God hasn't remembered you? Will you move again in faith? And will you remember that God did it with Moses? He does it again today, and He will continue to do it again and again and again. See, God works in the wilderness, and His deliverance overcomes our wandering. His deliverance also overcomes our weakness. It says this in Exodus 3, verse 4 to 10. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look at the burning bush, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead Israel out of Egypt. And I can imagine when God is telling him this, Moses is going, yes, Lord. Free my people. Yes, Lord, deliver them. Yes, Lord, stand firm on your promises. Yes, Lord, lead us into a promised land. And as soon as God tells Moses, I am sending you, he goes, No, Lord, I'm out. You must be talking about another person. Is there another man named Mo behind me? And all he is is a bleating sheep. Man. Nah. <laughs> See, we always disqualify ourselves, we always think that God must use someone else that God has something else better. Why are we the person that God would choose? And then we start seeing the list of disqualifications as long, as long as our past, as long as we've been alive. And then the enemy starts whispering in our ear. Maybe he whispered in Moses' ear, God's choosing you, but you are a murderer. God's choosing you. You deserted your nation. God's choosing you, but you've been a shepherd for 40 years, and the enemy starts to whisper in our ears, God's choosing you, but do they know what you looked at last night? God's choosing you, but you have anxiety. God's choosing you, but you are young. God's choosing you, but you are marginalized, disqualified, oppressed, on the side, downcast, low, God uses the lowly things of this world to shame the wise. It's not about our qualifications. It's about how good our God is, how good he is, because he uses our weakness for his strength and his purposes. Don't disqualify yourself, sir or ma'am. Do not disqualify yourself in the eyes of God, because he doesn't see like we see. He doesn't see with the natural eyes. He sees something greater. He sees his promises in your life. He sees his purposes in your life, and he has a greater future for you. See, I can imagine while Moses is looking at the burning bush, he is just seeing everything that disqualifies him. I don't have enough resources. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the strength. I don't have the qualifications. I don't have the skills, God. And God is looking at Moses, and he says, you are correct, you do not have the qualifications, you do not have the capacity, you do not have the skills, but know this, I am. Know this, I am God. Know this, I am Yahweh. And for the first time, God reveals His name. He shows that He is both powerful and He is personal. He is powerful, he will bring deliverance for his people, but he is also personal, and he is in the deepest parts of our lives, working for his glory, working for his good, and we are just called to move again in faith. We are just called to depend on the promises of God, and will we rise up and move again as a people? See, it is at this moment that God chooses to reveal uh, himself to Moses in the wilderness. I am who I am. And it's not grammatically correct, and I'm an English major, and it drives me insane. But it is so truthful. I am who I am. I am the God who created the heavens and the earth. I am the God who was and is and is to come. I am the God who is never changing. I am the God who is always faithful. I am the deliverer. I am the redeemer. I am the restorer. I am your God, Yahweh. And this is so important for us to understand. God reveals his nature and his character to Moses. Why? So that Moses could trust in the promises of God. Once he knew who God was for him, he could trust that God would do it again and again and again and bring manna in the Desert and bring water from rock and lead the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, he will do it again and again. And we need to believe in this God, Yahweh. He is still at work today. It's not just something that happened one day when, it ha- is happening right now. Yahweh is still at work. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob is still at work in your life, and he's calling you to move again in faith. So when Moses says, who am I, God? I'm disqualified. God says, I am. Who am I, God? I'm impure. God says, I am. Who am I, God? I have nothing in my hands. God says, I am. And he says that again and again over your life. Every time you disqualify yourselves, every time the enemy wants to divert you from God's plans and purposes for your life, God yells, I am over your lives. I am over my life. I am over the community of Tableview. I am over the nation of South Africa. I am God. See, God's deliverance always redeems man's deficiencies, it always redeems man's deficits, it always uh, redeems man's delays or disobedience or lacks or disappointments. God's deliverance always redeems because He is the great deliverer. God hears, God remembers, and God sees. See, and just as God raised up a redeemer in Moses, God raised up another redeemer and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the greatest redeemer of them all. See, where Moses was born under order to kill all the Hebrew boys, Jesus was also born under the same order for King Herod, and he had to flee to Egypt. See, where Moses would be raised up to redeem a nation, Jesus was raised up to redeem mankind. Just as Moses led a nation out of slavery, Jesus purchased our freedom on the cross once and for all. Just as Moses mediated God's covenant with God's people, Jesus became the new covenant so that we would never be separated from our Father ever again. See, we have the greatest redeemer of them all, and his name is Jesus. See, this book of Exodus always points towards the cross. It always points towards our deliverance. It always points towards our redemption. And because we have received this, because we have victory on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, we can move again in faith. In the face of oppression, we can move again in faith. When we are wandering and when we are in the middle of our wilderness in a dry and barren land and we aren't seeing anything changing, we can move again in faith because Jesus has redeemed that when we are in our weakest point in our lives, we can move again in faith. Why? Because Jesus is strong when we are weak. And Jesus says these words to the religious elite when they are trying to persecute him, when they are trying to define his character, when they are trying to figure out who is this guy, and he says, I am, before Abraham, I am. And he is declaring over the earth that he is the great I am. He is the God who was and is and is to come. He is the God who has intervened in every one of our stories and will bring it for his redemption and his purposes. See, just as I am took his people out of Egypt, Jesus, the great I am, wants to take Egypt out of his people. See, we are able to move again. Because he moved towards us on the cross. Yeah. We are able to move again because the great I am is greater than your wickedness, is greater than your weakness, is greater than your wilderness. Can I ask us to stand? Our God hears, our God remembers, and our God sees. And he is calling a people to courage and boldness and confidence to rise up. He is calling a people to move again, away from the shackles of slavery, away from their old way of life, away from your old way of doing things. He is calling you to rise up again in faith and walk into the fullness of his promises for your life.